Welcome to episode 499 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Thursday, September 28th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Sayers and our producer, Justin Mason. Eno, what's going on, man? It's almost time for the playoffs. Dude, it's, it, I mean, it's basically done. There's a, there's a weekend series left. Some teams have today off and just the weekend series left. Some teams have today and then the weekend series. I mean, the season is effectively over. But... We've got a great playoff coming up. I'm actually really, Wait. really excited by this playoff. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. How are you doing in your leagues? Dude, I had the worst September. Mm. And I'm just going to end up having a pretty modest year. I started feeling myself like, oh, man, I'm having a pretty good year. I cut some leagues. This is going to be great. I had the September from hell, man. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Like, I, I, I think I might have to go back and catalog it for an article because it was – crazy how things just absolutely cratered on me mm. and to the point you know have a couple caches but no titles and and just bitter disappointment like i'm <laughs> super angry about it and what'd it's you, not like i'm doing well in one of the uh, touts no we were in labor for a while uh up near the top jason and i but my tout team flopped with the uh, with the offensive approach where i drafted all those superstars didn't manage the pitching well enough was was the problem and so i wound out wound up just super top heavy um what i was doing well and maybe what you were thinking was my nfbc team was was doing well my rotowire online championship team was lingering between first and third with regularity and then it hit the fan too and now it's uh desperately hanging on for fourth trying to claw in the third with an outside shot and it, it's Again, it's maddening. I cannot believe it. It's not like I sat back either. I didn't say, "Oh, you won all, you know, you did well in all these leagues. Let's just chill." No, I was just glad that I was doing well. I continued to be aggressive on the wire and everything, and I fell apart. How about you? How'd your season go? Well, I think I'm uh, I've got uh, 98 wins in that score sheet league. Oh yeah, uh, see, I, I cannot believe that I even did anything in that. I came in thinking it was a rebuild year, and I hung around most of the year. But I ended up like one, you know, like one of those teams that uh, hangs around for a while and probably should have sold, but they were doing too well to sell. And now mm. I'm stuck. Like, okay, well, what do I do next year? But you're you're gonna be in the playoffs, right? For sure. Yeah, I'm the best team in the league. I've got. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have a hundred wins because there's still a week left in the season. So I'm gonna have a hundred wins and jinxed uh, yourself to go zero and seven now. I got yeah right. I got, but it doesn't matter. Even if I go zero and seven, no, I'm no, in, you, you're but, so far out ahead. Uber, uh, Uber, Carrasco, Verlander, uh, Bauer is my postseason rotation. Is that good in an AL only league? <laughs> it's pretty decent. Is that, uh, is that decent? Uh, That's amazing. Uh, and then uh, Domingo Santana was. I have Domingo Santana in like five leagues, Which and I managed to explain how how things work. Why you would have yeah, an AL player. You have these things called crossover slots. So yes. I actually traded for Domingo Santana and a crossover slot uh, in the offseason. Um, and I forget what I gave up. But and there, um, there's a cutoff on their list, too. So they, they I don't know what the date is, but let's say it's like January 15th. Castellanos, actually. I think I, gave up, I think I gave up Nick Castellanos for an NL crossover slot and Domingo Santana. That's and it was, an amazing trade. It was partially because I needed – I had Greg Bird and Edwin Encarnacion, so I needed uh, to get someone that could play in the outfield. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, the Greg Bird thing didn't work out, but I still have him. I managed to nurse my way through the year. That's with, an asset uh, now. Sousaphone Jr. Sousaphone Jr. ended up being my DH. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the team is uh, good all the way through the top to bottom. The only thing that happened was that Dyson got hurt, and now my center field is uh, Delino DeShields and Alex Gordon. Hey, at least at least the Shields is playing more, so you're getting those the yep. the, the playing time there. Um, the, you know, you, you kind of buried the lead on on the fact that you have Altuve leading the charge there. Didi Gregorius' oh. breakout, Josh Donaldson in the second half has taken you from you've been a contender all year. You've been near the top, doing well, but he, when I mean, he ramped your offense to to the next level there with guys like Edwin Encarnacion also getting on track. You mentioned Santana, Sousaphone Jr.'s uh, breakout was really nice for you. So you have a hell of a crew. And like you say, that that Greg Bird asset now is something that you can reinforce. If you you know you can go win a title, come back, r- make some trades to supplement, and then go at it again. Like a really nice, nice team you got there. Yeah, I have this other team that's funny. It's the team I've won maybe eight out of the ten years it's existed. It's my 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 home dynasty. Mm-hmm. And they're, I mean, the, the guys who play in it are not, they're not, uh, you know, not jokers. They, they all came from fantasy lounge. So they, they were, you know, a lot of them were writers at some point and, um, you know, they, they play well. I've mostly done like a fade prospect strategy. Um, and the only one, one of the few, like the two prospects that I would never trade were Cody Bellinger and, and Mookie Betts. So you made good decisions. There. Those two, those two were the ones I wouldn't trade. Everybody else, I've just been like, take them, take them, take them. Uh, so uh, that team, I was struggling to find pitching. I just found enough at the end, and I'm in the playoffs. I'm in the finals this week, and I think I'm going to win again, even though I came in as the sixth seed. H to H, baby, rising up. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. I think not my greatest year. I mean, third in labor is my best finish. Uh, today Carrasco mowed down the hungover twins, and I think he pushed me into third. Um, the guy who gets to face the, the the hangover lineup. Yeah, it's always nice. The hangover that's a big DFS thing. As soon Absolutely. as someone clinches, take the pitcher that's going against them the next day. Yep, just just load up. You know, and it's not like their pitching fell apart. Santana threw five strong, but then the bullpen just kind of did whatever. And as you mentioned, Carrasco, eight and a third shutout. They give all their veterans punches. the day off, you know. Yeah, 14 yeah. punches. That's what I needed. That that That's just massive at this time. Have you guys given any thought to cutting out the last week as MLB becomes more and more uh, football-like where – that last week guys are sitting things are being reworked do you guys give any consideration to that because i know they're I'm, I'm not as much in the head-to-head i've kind of inched my way more and more into it every year and that's been a big thing that i've heard talked about this year is that i think we might go to a two-week or at least uh um, that, that i think that's a, a good compromise if you want to keep that last week in at least make it a two-week to cut out some of that noise of like oh yeah i didn't get starts for my two best guys because they happen to be on playoff teams, so they were, or they went three innings or something like that. Right. So I definitely think and there's I, some sort of compromise. That home dynasty is also one of those leagues where we all just unanimously agreed to add a DL slot in the middle of the season. Oh, uh, had to. Only way to do something like that. You can't do it with with half, uh, nope. you know, two. Not even one dissenting I, I, yeah. for me, I, and that's the way it was too, because we talked about that early in the year. In if season you, choices, yeah. You make any in season moves, it has got to be unanimous because that is a that's a big deal when you're changing after the draft, even if it's not something that would have necessarily affected the draft, but you can make a case that an extra DL slot 
might have changed some things. So the fact that everybody's on board uh, makes it a go ahead on, on things like that. Now, in that, in that league, um, it's that that thing we might go to a two week uh, final. That's head to head. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, in other leagues, I think in labor, for one, we're all struggling with not only the DL. There is a unlimited DL, but I think uh, the way labor works is they have to be put on the DL um in order yes. for you to put so them September's on the dl yep. so september you've just got all these players where you're like are they going to come back are they on the dl and if a guy like for example i had michael fulmer and michael fulmer was never put on the dl so my only choice was to either start him or drop him because he's a major leaguer on a major league roster so he had to be started and uh, he couldn't be put on the bench. We don't. You, on the your bench can only be used for zero dollar players that you drafted as bench players, or uh, people who are put in the minors. So at least in that league, it's it's a redraft. So cutting him, you, you knew you could. Well, at but one what, point, but it wasn't actually decided for like three weeks. So there no, was actually, okay. Yeah, you're right. You there had, was like you, two or three weeks where they're like maybe. You know, maybe he'll be back, maybe not. And I just, I had like a zero on my, that really hurt me in K's and kind of, I'm not, it didn't cost me the title. I, I don't think I was in there for one, but I, you let's know, it, it might have cost no, me no, no, second or third place. Let's say it did. Let's say you would have won if it weren't for that. So that you Well, I think if I was closer first, I would have been like, okay, Fulmer's got to go. You know, the only way I'm going to win this is everything breaks right. So right now I'm going to drop Fulmer and pick up this other guy, but. You know, I, I also kind of went all in and bought Haney as my last acquisition, thinking, mm-hmm. thinking this is how it's going to go right. Fulmer's going to come back, Haney's going to be good, and and Mengden's going to come up and be good, and that's how I win. And one of those things happened. The life of an AL only league, right there. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, ma- mapping out that strategy, everyone that plays like mixed leagues is like, what? Yeah, right. what you're depending on who? What? Sweet, sweet game plan, dude. Sweet yeah. game plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you like leagues of that depth, it, it's a lot of fun. And then I, I, I've really come around on on the whole like, I, I used to be a league shamer. I'm a reformed league shamer. I'd be like, oh, eight team league. That's stupid. That's lame. You don't play deep enough. You need to know the ninth uh-huh. reliever in the. Uh, in the Toronto bullpen, or else you're not playing fantasy. Sometimes those really scarce leagues are annoying. They're they're, t- they're terrible. Like they can I be don't terrible. Want to have Robert Ref Snyder on my team. Exactly. So <laughs> I, for me, it's just about understanding that it's all different parameters. I think part of the reason that I would kind of push away on it is because I didn't really know how to compete in an eight or ten team mixer because I see all this talent on the wire oh, that I would not, punch a puppy in the face for yeah. in most of my leagues, <laughs> and I'm like. Uh, seeing it on this in this league, and it's like, no, don't pick that guy up. It, it, he won't start I think on your you team. You almost have to treat some of those as DFS, at least on the pitching side, because there's probably like ten aces in an eighteen team league in an eight eighteen an eight team team league. league. There's probably only like ten aces that you want to play every time out. Yeah, and and, and then spot spot guys in you and can out. Just spot the rest of your roster. So it's the kind of league where. You pay seventy dollars for Clayton Kershaw. You pay seventy dollars for Mike Trout, and, and then churn, and then churn the rest of your. Roster. No, I, I I totally agree. It's a different it's a different skill set, and and I, I again I think I was afraid of of it, and so I would just crap on it and be like, oh that that's lame, that's not real, because obviously in like an AL only. You just kind of draft your team and you sit and you, and you wait. You can make waiver moves, but for the most part, you got to wait. Any star that's kind of faltering, you got to wait. You're not cutting a star. In in an eight-team league, 
if your sixth round pick isn't getting off to a good start and it's April 28th, see you, dude. I'm going to go look for somebody else because I can probably find somebody to do what you're doing and maybe just pick you back up if you get on track. So definitely all different ways to play. How many leagues did you end up playing this year? I ended up playing only, I think it was, the final count I think was 11, which is a all-time low. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been so long since I've played, um, you know, at least like 15 plus. Let me see, I'm counting right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. There's actually nine. It was nine this year. So, I mean, I really scaled back and I was having success until I wasn't. And then it was like, oh, well. Maybe it wasn't the league volume. Maybe, see, I, I used to have that as an excuse. I'd be like, oh, I played too many leagues. That's why I'm not winning every single one. Now it's like, oh well, I just suck. So yeah, I'm coming to this realization now. I think this might have been the first time I did under double digits. I had two Yahoo, uh, nope, three Yahoo. There we go. Two Autonew, uh, two CBS, one ESPN, one score sheet. Labor. Oh my God, that's the lowest I've ever done. I'm. I mean, I'm actually. Uh, Justin messaged me saying he had 13, so he's on. He's been on the way up, and I'm on. We're passing each other. I'm on the way down. Yeah, I know. You, I want to cut him down. The problem is, so now I've got these 10, and you know, I have reasons for being in each one. Like, oh, I win that one every year. Oh, I make money off of that one every year. You know? Yeah. Um, then there's uh, uh, the other ones, which are dynasties, and there there are some dynasties I like to cut, and I have Ozzy Albies on all of them. And this player alone is making me not want to. <laughs> you love like, Albies, and he's, he's looking so really good too. By the way, I like I like what we've seen out of him uh, in this in this first trial run. I think it's going to end up inflating his draft day value. Uh, we're going to do a bunch of either or today. He's not in one of them, but I'll actually put him in one uh, for next week when we when we do the either or battles because I'm really I'm interested against, uh, in some of your deep dive thoughts. Oh, okay, I'll do that. I like yeah. that one. We'll do yeah. Whitmerfield versus Ozzy Albies for next week. But I do want to talk about some things that that uh, some guys you've been talking to out, out out at the field. We mentioned all the time how you're out at uh, Oakland or San Francisco's park. You've been talking to some guys. I saw you in a, a Twitter discussion today talking about Jarrell Cotton, guy that we love this year, and it all went wrong. And I, I think you know for me, just watching a handful of his starts this year, the one thing I, I definitely feel I overrated was his ability to command, particularly with the fastball. And we know that that's where everything starts and ends. You know, fastball command um, can drive the, the, you know, a terrible pitcher into success, terrible relative to the league. A fifth starter can have his, you know, eight start run of a two ERA when it's, when he's commanding his fastball brilliantly, even if he throws it at 89, 90. But when you're not commanding, it doesn't really matter what you have on the secondary pitches or where you play or what you've got going on. You're usually going to get beaten around the yard. And that's what happened with cotton this year, 558 ERA, 144 whip. And yet, despite that, and and by the way, component numbers that that back up the horrendousness too. There's no there's no real bad luck that you can see, at least not in the numbers. Maybe a 2.0 homer per nine. Maybe it's an inflated homer to fly ball rate. But but you see why he sucked when you dig under the hood. But what did you learn from Cotton talking to him about this season and what he's going to take from it going forward? I think he's being coached incorrectly. That's very interesting. I think I think they're telling him to do the wrong things, because I, I talked to him and he said, 
Um, you know, he he agreed with me. Actually, the first thing I talked about was he threw ten straight changeups the other day, and I was like off on my couch, like, "Whoa! Like, is he going to throw another one? Is he going to throw another one? Is he going <laughs> to throw another one?" And he threw ten straight, and his and he actually none of them got hit, and uh, none of them got hit for a hit. I think only like two were put into play, and he had like three or four whiffs. So it was, I thought, pretty impressive. And it's it suggested to me that 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 pitch, even when they're sitting on it, people have a hard time with it. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's to the point where you know, even when you're sitting on a Wainwright curve, how 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 well can you do against it? So exactly. So I think he should, on a simple level, I think he should throw the changeup more and uh, the cutter less. And and see where that goes. That's that's one thing he might be doing that. I don't know if the coach is telling him that because he said that was just me. That was just the game. We just decided to do that. But if he's willing to do that, that means he might be able to willing to do that on his own. And it means that the coaching staff is not telling him not to do that. However, he was touching his elbow after the game uh, when he got taken out. So we'll have to wait on that. And he just got. Uh, he's not doing his last start. So that's, that's the most, actually most important thing. The other thing though, that he said was, yeah, fastball command. And I, you know, I said, yeah, fastball command is a problem. He throws the, 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 the sector that he throws his four seam fastball to the most is middle, middle. And that's <laughs> not good. Yeah. So, um, he, but the problem was he said, well, he did say, uh, I think he said glove side, Anyway, he said one of the sides is harder for him, and that's that's normal. That that you can move around on the mound a little bit, left to right on the rubber, uh, to mitigate that a little bit. Um, and that's something Greinke said pitchers always have better command to one side or the other. But then he said that his pitching coach said he wanted him to throw ninety percent of his stuff in in the bottom of the zone. And first of all, he doesn't do that. And second of all, he has a hard riding fastball. And, you know, given that he has problems with his fastball perceived velocity being lower than his actual velocity, it's one of the worst in the league. I think he has to throw high. I think he has to throw. I think he needs to throw high and tight as much as possible, because if he throws high and tight, those are going to turn into whiffs if they sit change up. And if they sit fastball, that's a really hard pitch to hit anyway. And it will make the change up even more devastating. So. The fact that his pitching coach is telling him to throw it low in the zone, he doesn't have that kind of stuff. He's not a sinker slider guy, you know? He's a high four seam and his changeup, you know, you could say, you know, sinker change. No, he has a, a changeup that looks like a curveball. It's like a reverse curveball. It's that screwball. It, it, it's thing. it's been called a screwball, exactly. And and Jarrell Cotton throws average ninety three. You work up and in, that's gonna give effective velocity in the ninety five, ninety six range. Like Which, that's what it even plays though his at. perceived velocity takes two miles an off two miles an hour off of that, you still end up around ninety three instead of ending up at eighty nine ninety. That, so, that's a good point. Yes, he does. Um, the the way his mechanics work for Cotton, he actually cuts some um, effective velocity off of his fastball. But I'm gonna I'll I'll I you know to, he has fallen and you know this in the context of the rest of the players we're gonna talk about he's probably one of the least important people we'll talk about today, but. I would still call him a dollar pitcher in AL only. I, I'm still going to put him in my sort of top 100, 120. Yeah, um, I'm not quitting him. I think he's still an interesting guy. I think he's definitely the kind because he has three pitches that have that are above average by whiffs. That that alone uh, tells you he's got three ways to go. He's got something going on, and you know having this homer problem is is not something that well either you're out of the league or or you fix it right. Yeah. So. Um, 
I think he's uh, he's got enough going on that uh, that uh, we should keep paying attention to him. So this is my favorite thing, by the way, uh, Draw Cotton. You go to his page um, after this podcast is posted in the, in the website updates, and all five of his most recent articles are going to be sleeper in the bust episodes. So we're still <laughs> carrying that torch on Jarrell Cotton. On Nobody's it. written about him this year, but we're still talking about him. One in May, one in June, or excuse me, one in July. Oh, sweet, didn't turn off your phone. And then two in September. This will be the third in September. So okay. we've been talking a lot of Jarrell We're Cotton. done now for a while. Yep, we're done for a while. Uh, another guy you talked to on his team, Marcus Simeon. You know, I kind of feel bad for Marcus Simeon because injuries uh, cut his season in half, literally in half. He's played 81 games so far, so he'll get, you know, a little bit over half playing the rest of the year. But nine homers, 12 stolen bases. I know, you know, careful with extrapolation, but it's not like I'm extrapolating a 400 average on a 500 Babbitt and saying he would do that. I mean, he had 255, 334, 404. That's about what you would expect anyway. So you can kind of double it and look at 18 and 24 out of Marcus Simeon. That certainly wouldn't surprise me. He went 27 and 10 last year. It looks like he's been a little bit more committed to the run. Tremendous success rate. He's 38 for 48 in his career. You talked to Simeon. What'd you learn from him? You know, I, I think he's a guy that I would like to have uh, in a in a similar situation as Tim Anderson next year. Um, I'd rather have Simeon, so it's about who's cheaper. But Tim I Anderson think it and be Simeon, you think? Yeah, I think it would be Simeon because people will look at that isolated power, which went back to where he was in 2015, where he only hit 15 homers. So he he had 15 homers and a 147 ISO his first year at the Athletics. Then last year, 197 ISO, 27 homers. And then this year, back to 149 ISO. And you think, oh, you know, maybe he didn't really have that power from 2016. However, however, Stephen A. Smith however, uh, he was hurt. And he was hurt in a place that hurts you uh, for power. So the wrist is one of those things that that definitely uh, saps your power. You look at his exit velocity. When he came back, it was like two miles an hour lower than it was when before he went away. And if you look at his last 20 balls in play exit velocity, as I did for the athletic the other day, you see it coming back. And then I talked to him and he said, yes, the wrist is finally coming back. I asked him what his offseason plan was. He was, you know, strengthening the wrist and not that much time away from ball. He's like, I want to keep swinging because one of the things that happened was I was away for so long when I came back, just even swinging felt weird. So he said he had, you know, a little bit more of a bat wrap and he was, He's loading a little bit differently and some mechanical stuff, but more when he showed me that, I just showed, I saw more confidence in the way he was holding the bat and more strength in that wrist. Uh, And you pair that with the uptick in exit velocity and the power that he's shown in the last week or two. Um, I think that uh, you're seeing a guy who I would uh, bet on hitting more than 20 homers next year. So pair more than 20 homers with excellent, uh, eff- efficacy on the base pass this year, 12 out of 13. I think 2020. Could, yeah, I think 2020, 2015. I mean, what are you expecting out of Tim Anderson? Is you know, I think people were pleasantly surprised by Tim Anderson in some ways this year. I agree. And and Tim Anderson doesn't come with any of the same plate discipline. No, so, no, that's been a big thing for Simeon. Um, you know, and I think Anderson's uh, emergence as a prospect is something that allowed them to trade Marcus Simeon because he was on the White Sox. But I really like what Simeon can do at the dish. And and you really can talk about, you know, you already hit 27 homers last year. If we see a full season of the base running like we've seen this half season, 
not out of bounds to see 25-25, even if he only hits 255 again. Like, he, he can have that sort of uh, volume, Marcus Simeon can, at shortstop uh, for the counting category. So it makes him a really good fantasy player. And because he only played, you know, 84 games, if he finishes out the season here, uh, I just don't think he's going to be showing up as high as Tim Anderson, who played 143, had a pretty good which, second season. But I, I, I want Simeon out of those two. Which lineup sure. is going to be better next year? I think Oakland's. Yeah, I, and I which, think, I think and, White and Sox which player is going to be on, on base more often? Of, co- of course, Simeon. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tim Anderson yeah. has a 280 OBP. That's, that's yeah. vile. That's terrible. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, Tim Anderson did steal 15 out of 16, and I think he would probably return. I, don't, I haven't run the numbers yet, but I, I think he probably returned my $20 investment. In and maybe it was a little bit aggressive of me, but, you know, 17 homers, 15 stolen bases, 260 from my middle infielder. Certainly. You know, it definitely I, wasn't, uh, you know, the bust that sunk my season. So At 25 for 28 in his career, why isn't Tim Anderson running more, though? Is it just the 280 that's preventing him? I wonder. Yeah, maybe he's just not on base enough. And, you know, maybe they don't want – maybe he doesn't want to run into outs when he's trying to impress his, his management or whatever. Yeah, so. maybe, maybe part of that success is the fact that he picks his spots very well. And right. kind of it ensures that he only steals when he's got it. So that that, I think that he's part a better scary. defender than the defensive metrics say. He's got a minus five on for us, and I think uh, I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he's you'll at least have a year, and maybe next year where people are saying, "Wow, this is one of the best defenders in the league." I, I, that's what I think personally. So for Anderson, yeah. So if you've got Tim Anderson putting up plus defense like that, even if he's only. You know, an 80 to 90 WRC plus guy. I think he's going to be a league average guy. He's going to be a defense first, um, you know, guy who's who's there for a while. And and uh, you know, I don't think he'll ever be a star. But if he's if he's you know hitting 15 homers and stealing 15 bases a year while putting a plus defense, he'll he'll be relevant in fantasy for a long time too. Seems seems like an avenue to maybe save some some auction bucks or some draft value. To get Simeon as a shortstop and Anderson as a middle, or however you want to break it down, get get both There's of them though. Decent amount of risk there, sure. But if you had if you had a bench piece that was a middle infielder too, or if you uh, went with uh, if you went big on second base, like spent a lot on Altuve, exactly. Uh, get you a could star maybe there. spend forty dollars on your entire middle infield and have Altuve, Simeon, and Anderson. And come out of there with a 280 average or 270 average and tons of homers and steals. Exactly. I think I think Altuve would cost a little more, maybe 50 bucks for that trio. But I think that's still something that you could really get done. Uh, yeah, spend big at shortstop or you talk or second base, I should say. And you're talking about uh, having maybe a, a second infielder. base, especially in American only, sucks. Oh my God, it's it's impossibly bad. Like yeah. <laughs> outside of Whit Merrifield, who we'll dive in on next week, and Altuve um, is Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is going to qualify there again, right? Because yeah, he, had he didn't actually coming into the season, so he added uh, it this year. Him That's and right. Merrifield actually make it a little bit better, but so yeah, they, they add some depth there. But once you know, what, what do you what are you doing after that? Uh, scope, okay, scope and Dozier, and then that cutoff. So there's five. There's five for. Uh, and then you're talking about. I mean, there's Cano. But uh, th- I mean, that's I think that's the top, and then you've got you're talking about Lowry, Yolmer Sanchez. What's um, Beckham going to do? Uh, Odor yeah. seems like a risk, you know, considering he's a win, a full win below replacement, even though he hit 30 homers and stole 14 bases. When you only swing for a homer, 
and play all year, you can hit 30 homers. Yeah. It, it, he just proved that. He just showed that. Uh, <laughs> Neto Odor did. Uh, on the other side, uh, you know, you talk to obviously the opposition when they come in too, because you can always get Oakland and San Francisco. Uh, you talk to Mike Zanino, and I hope you told him how much Jason and I can't stand him as a ball player. Uh, <laughs> and I hope you open with that. I really want. There are so the many tone. people who, who hate him so badly because he's been so bad. But I mean, there's there, there was a, a bit of a turnaround this year. Hey, I think. Credit where it's due. He's hitting 248. Yeah. Uh, I, I did not think that he had any chance at that. 276 in the second half, 328 in September alone. 20, Is this a springboard? Above the average with the bat. Springboard for something for Zanino? Or a, they, a they had this flirt. thing called the Zanino rules, which I wanted to check in about. And the Zanino, Zanino rules were like 10 checkpoints that he has to do before every game. And it's just like, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I put my cup on? <laughs> and, you know, he. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, in some ways, I think um, it was like, I don't know, like a dumbing down, really, like, like a, you know, simplifying for him. Yeah, really making everything kind of basic and and straightforward. And also made him stay with one uh, set of mechanics instead of, uh, oh, well, it's been a bad couple of games. So now I'm going to change things up again. Sure. So um, that uh, he did mention some mechanical things that he thought were, were better. But in some ways, I think that allowed him to be aggressive. And now he's hunting the pitch he wants. And if you look at his swing rates, um, they're actually up. Uh, and yes, his reach rates are up. But uh, his zone swing rate is the best it's been in the last three years. Um, and his overall swing rate is up from last year. And I think that's actually good for him. In some players, if you don't make a lot of contact, there's not a good reason for you to wait and put yourself in bad counts. If you wait and you don't have a real great sense of where the zone is and you don't make uh, a good contact, then you get into a lot of two strike counts and then you strike out even more. So I think for him, be aggressive, get out there and uh, and get out there before they can just dump breaking balls on you. Um, so I think, you know, I think he's a starting catcher in American League only next year. I think I'd hesitate to buy heavily, even in like two catcher, 15 team mixed leagues, because, uh, you know, his true talent batting average is still probably around 230. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think I think you can't just go off these last two months and say that he's a different batting average guy. The 248 this year in 431 plate appearances, which is the second best that he's ever had for Zanino, uh, only moved him up to 208. So that's that's the kind of batting average that we're dealing with. And in any sort of mixed league, that just that starts to hurt. And 24 homers is not going to counterbalance it the way it was just a few years ago when nobody was really getting homers from anywhere. And so you could kind of say, you know, even when he was at uh, the 199 in 2014 with 22 homers, there was still some positive mixed league value because you just couldn't really find homers, especially at catcher. So you could kind of take on the 199. I think the, the dynamics of that have changed now where he would need to hit like 30 plus to really kind of counterbalance some of that uh, batting average deficiency. So obviously we're going to have Gary Sanchez, number one in the AL. Then uh, Sal Perez, I guess. And then Mike Uh, Zanino. Then Mike Zanino or Beef Beef Castillo or Mike Zanino? No, I actually do think it's that close. Maybe it It is. I think it is, though, because then you're talking like I'm just looking at the catchers uh, qualified for the batting title in the American League this year. I'm just looking at the player raider uh, for AL guys just going in order here, and it's um, it, it does go Sanchez, Perez. I think, I think I'd have Chirinos ahead. 
Okay, yeah, I was going to say, uh, it goes Vasquez, then Chirinos. Chirinos had a 255 batting average on a 298 Vabip and, and strikes out 10% less often than Zanino. So. Will Gaddis qualify? Did he get any catching this year? I think so. He did. Okay, yeah, 48 games. So Gaddis is still there. I'll take Gaddis ahead of Zanino easily. Yeah, I think probably so off the cuff, like Sanchez. Uh, Sal Perez. Yes, Sal. Sal's got that power now. And he uh, just he's, he's stable. Yep. But I, I think he's not the kind of guy that I'd jump in on. And you know, I'm the kind of guy who's like feast or famine with these guys. I want to buy Gary Sanchez, and, and then I want to find the next Wellington Conceo. So I'm not sure who that is because some Same of it – I think it might be Chirinos. But you know, sometimes these guys get moved around in the offseason. So if like Castillo leaves the Orioles and someone joins the Orioles, that's always a big deal. You know, That's true. There, there will probably um, be some catcher movement there. Chirinos isn't the starter for the Rangers, then I might take the guy who becomes the starter for the Rangers because that's mm-hmm. a good offensive environment and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, I mean, I think it probably goes something like Sanchez, Gaddis, or Sanchez, Sal, Gaddis, Castillo, um, what do you think about Christian Vasquez? Because he's up, he's up there. Where did the uh, land? Where is, I don't know. He's you know he's the a free agent again. He's in I the mean, Cubs right. He's on the Cubs right now. I thought you said where yeah, does he end up? Yeah, like if Avila goes to the Rangers, then I'm all over him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, Christian Vasquez hit 294 this year with five homers, seven stolen bases, in, in just 334 plate appearances. Do you like him at all, Christian Vasquez? It's a pretty big Babbitt. Uh 27 years old. I mean, it's hard to hold age against catchers because they debut later. Exactly. Torino's 33. Yeah, they take forever to be good uh, bats. Uh, I will say that I think that the stolen base stuff is just must be random. Must be double steals. I mean, behind a, somebody, Brock or somebody. Yeah, he didn't steal a single base in 280. Or, excuse me. 385 plate appearances before this, not even a single attempt. And this year he's seven for nine. It's kind of, I, I wouldn't really, he's not a JT or real Muto. So he's kind of like a JT real Muto without the speed. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> not really what, you not want. quite the same thing. No. Although I think he's a starter. So that's, if I don't get, um, if I don't get Chirinos for, you know, $8 next year, you know, I'm not, I'm just throwing, I don't have my values, but if I, if I don't get Chirinos for like a nice little number, um, what I would love to do next year is because I don't think I can get Gary Sanchez for cheap again. No, um, he's going to be super high. Right. So I'll probably try to get Chirinos and like Avila for like $14 combined. Okay. Uh, that's, that's all. That's my other strategy. I hate having, I definitely don't want like Martin Maldonado. No, uh, I don't do two $1 guys anymore. I yeah. used to, and it's just a total punt. I try to get something that can actually pop. Wilson and, Ramos and should be actually uh, is actually an interesting name. He turned it on finally. He was a little unhealthy early on. I think. I think he was trying to find totally, him. totally getting his his vibe back and and had to. You could kind of see him feeling it out. What about somebody like uh, we talked? You know, we're talking a lot of Oakland right now. Uh, Bruce Maxwell looks like he's going to have the job kind of cleared out for him. Do you see anything with his bat? Well, there's uh, and. You know, I don't know how much of it's related to anything that has to do with his political stance and the taking the knee, uh, but I've heard some stupid uh, talk of like how he handles himself like uh, during games that he takes uh, you know bad at bats back uh, you know back out there on defense or something. Uh, 
I don't see that at all. Uh, and I don't know if it's related to my bias being like, you know, pro him for pro taking him. A, yeah. a, a risky stance as a guy who's barely on the roster, uh, son of a mili- you know, military brat who takes this thing very seriously and just thought he should speak up for other people um, who he thought were being attacked and were had their freedom of speech attacked. I think, um, you know, what I th- one thing I think about him is that he hasn't he's shown always shown play discipline and he hasn't always shown power, but he has shown power once he's given a chance to acclimate. So I think that he is a guy that could actually outperform his projections with respect to uh, power. And if he did do that, if they did give him the the starting gig and they gave him 400 plate appearances, I could see him hitting like 12 to 14 homers. Okay. And if he did that, he'd be like a 250, 330, you know, 400 guy. And I'll take that in AL only for sure. Especially, especially if too. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So no doubt. I think there's a little bit of a chance there. And if you, if you hear what I'm saying, like just look at his minor league stats, like started off, not much power, always had played discipline, always had played discipline. I talked to him about this and he said, yeah, at some point I had to combine my natural plate discipline with an aggressive find the pitch I want to hit um, philosophy. And once he did that, he had a 218 ISO, a triple A. He followed that up with a one, you know, a 179 uh, this year. So he's got a little bit of pop. I I think for Bruce Maxwell, some of that 25% strikeout rate is maybe getting into those deep counts and not being able to get out of them because he only has a seven and a half percent swinging strike rate. This guy's not a flailer. And so I think once he kind of learns how to uh, maximize those deep counts to where they, if it's not a walk, then then you get the hit, um, or at least you know make contact, not not strike out. I think that strikeout rate can come down into the low twenties, high teens with a double digit walk rate. And now maybe start boosting up the average a little bit, and maybe there's something there. Again, twenty seven years old, but we don't hold that against catcher. I like Bruce Maxwell as maybe a C two in AL only I next think year. They, but might, not- they might also. This might just be stupid someone some one person complaining because if you look at the athletics they obviously don't care that much about defensive catcher <laughs> they, had no, they catcher never have <laughs> they never have so but uh um, yeah we're getting we're getting deep on that one let's let's shallow it up a little out, bit yeah. <laughs> dive back into some stars here and talk about some 2018 uh you know who you drafting first how do you feel about these guys we'll start in the outfield and these are all guys uh on on non-playoff teams here as promised for the next couple episodes because when we talk about playoffs uh at the front end of the shows and then we'll dive into some of the non-playoff players andrew mccutcheon or marcelo zuna interesting seasons for both one you know well-established veteran uh in mccutcheon kind of put himself back on the map i wonder if this is actually going to flare up those trade talks again to where they'll actually be able to uh be a little bit more active with it since people will want him meanwhile marcelo zuna finished the breakout that he started last year a wrist injury really derailed what was looking like pretty much this season i think it was going to be this season last year and it got cut cut uh cut shy it wasn't cut short he still played 608 plate appearances but the the effectiveness just wasn't there for Azuna. so 26 year old breakout 36 homers 309 batting average 119 ribbies 89 runs who you like better mccutcheon or ozuna i my bias here is is towards ozuna because he's younger and I, I get wary of these veterans having an, a, a decent year after a couple down years. You know, it's uh, it makes me feel like, you know, the the bad the bad term is and it's cynical and it's not nice to use this with dead. regards to a Yes, the dead cat bounce. Dead I, cat I, bounce. 
Uh, it's uh, also terrible as a cat owner. But, uh, um, I, I, I worry that whatever it was that bothered him for so long from the second wait, wait, wait. half of 2015. Let me push back. Let me push back. Yeah. You know, one bad season. But it, it started in the second half of 2015. It didn't affect him that much. So he still had an 889 and a one uh, OPS and a 144 OPS plus 23 homers, 96 ribbies, 11 stolen bases. Then last year, 24 homers actually had an extra homer, fewer runs, fewer RBIs, fewer stolen bases. But then this year, back on track, looking a lot like 2015. I know he's going to be 31. I'll give you the age thing. Right. But so, but then the, the age thing is really important because if you, uh, I like the shape of his production a little bit better. Which is unlike steals are, are rarer, so you know in some ways his production is worth more. Sure. Uh, also, he's a guy who will give you equal runs on RBI as opposed to Ozuna, which you know is definitely you know lower in the order RBI guy. So you have to supplement him with runs, you know. And not a huge walk guy either to to make sure that he's on when he's not getting hits. Right. So in some ways, I like the shape of 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 McCutcheon's offense better. So in that Justin, way, play I, some Ed Sheeran right here, the shape of you while, while Eno's talking. No, I'm just kidding. No. And so, uh, but the problem is that the age comes in and makes that 11 stolen bases even riskier because he had that six out of 13, uh, uh, six out of 13 stolen base attempts last year. Certainly. And he steps back at all there and it becomes, you know, five or six stolen bases and he goes back to 23 home runs then Ozuna is clearly the better pick. So I'm I'm going to go Ozuna. Okay. And I and I'm I'm cool with that cuz like I said, you know, this didn't want to make it sound like I wasn't going with Ozuna here. I just wanted to push back on the McCutcheon thing. He did sputter to the finish line in 15 with a mediocre September when he only hit 236, 388, still a great OBP, but 355 on the slug uh with three homers, four stolen bases. But that was just one month. The month before that 1079 OPS in August. So he was elite there. So he had the one bad month. Then the the injury riddled 2016, but he he came out of that last year, McCutcheon did. At the end, he really finished strong. So that's why I actually had some confidence in him this year after an 810 and 886 OPSs in August and September of last year. And then he showed this year that he's still good. So it's very close for me, but I think the age is actually kind of the defining factor. And it's it's a big enough split that I will go Azuna. But it's uh, it's I think it's more pro Ozuna than it is anti McCutcheon, if I can say that. Let's move on to a first base battle in the AL Central. Uh, although we don't know if it's going to remain in the AL Central because one of these guys could leave. I guess both of them could. One the other could get traded out. But uh, Eric Hosmer versus Jose Abreu, two guys who you know quietly just just did their thing. This Jose year. Abreu, flat out. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't like Hosmer, do you? <laughs> I, I know. I was just playing with that whole thing. Yeah, I just. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'll no, let no, you. No. Let me finish. Let, I'll let you finish. <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying, like, even aside from, I've never really liked Hosmer, and then obviously with the, with, with your thing, I'm like, well, now I have every reason to just be like, forget that guy. Uh, it's a shame we share the same birthday. I'll see if I can get his birthday changed, um, oh, somehow. I mean, here, here, the age difference favors Hosmer, uh, but it's only a couple years. And the thing that really bothers me, as much as Abreu has had like an issue um, in in a certain sense, which is that uh, he likes the ball on the outside and pitchers have have come inside on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I'm a child. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was a pretty egregious, actually. But anyway, (laughs) fantastic. 
Um, That's going to be the title of the episode. One thing you'll notice that this year is that uh, this is the highest pull percentage uh, for Abreu since his rookie year. So I I think uh, what you're seeing here is uh, what you're seeing here is that he's finally turning and burning on on some of those inside pitches. An adjustment, okay. Highest ISO uh, of his career, 33 homers, and he brings the batting average. He has a ground ball problem in that he hits maybe too many ground balls, but he hits 46% ground balls. Eric Hosmer has a ground ball problem. He hits 56% ground balls. So yeah, but pardon me for the tired. See more than 25 home runs from Eric Hosmer. And if he has the bad, bad BABIP that he has every other year or the average BABIP that he has every other year, then he's going to be 260 with 23 homers next year. Yeah, That's- exactly. I mean, it's the tired meme, but it's like, oh, Jose Abreu has too many uh, ground balls. Eric Hosmer's like, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> I could be a first baseman that can hit 55% ground balls. So, and again, we don't really know which venue either guy will be in because I don't think it's out of bounds to think that Abreu could be traded. They're doing that full rebuild. Now, they've said that they kind of want him to be the centerpiece. We've actually heard Rick Hahn talk about that at Sabre Seminar that, you know, he didn't say anything like, we're not trading Abreu, but he mentioned how. He's kind of the, the the centerpiece of the lineup that they're building with the young guys. And you can't just have all young guys. So I don't think it's a guarantee that Abreu gets moved. But with Hosmer, he's a free agent, and they kind of have to make their decision between Hosmer or Moustakis, and I don't know which one they're going to get. They might not They might not sign either, but I think I think they'll keep one around. And uh, personally, I would go with Moose, but uh, we'll, we'll see where they go. I'm with you, by the way, on all the points with Abreu, so I don't really have a then, lot to add there. You want to, like, then you want to play the game, okay, like, what – what is the sweet situation that uh, that could happen uh, that would make that if yeah then all of a sudden like Hosmer signs with the Rockies and Eno looks like an idiot, but, yeah, um, but... I mean the Rockies just signed Ian Desmond and Mark Reynolds loves that place and will come back for four million dollars or whatever, you know so and they have Ryan McMahon so and I don't think the Rockies are like I think if the Rockies spend any money next year, it'll probably be on pitching and bullpen yeah, again. If, if they sign a freaking bat, I swear to God, I'll go out to Colorado and just <laughs> wring their neck. Like that would be insane to do that. So I agree with you. Like, what is the scenario that would really prop Hosmer oh, up? Maybe the, the Texas that we just talked yeah. about. The Rangers have a two million dollar. Is it a two million dollar buyout? They have a um, for Nap. So Napoli could get uh, 11 million if the team wants them, 2.5 if they don't. And he could be an $11 million bench bat, though. I know that sounds insane. Well, he was below replacement this year. So maybe spotting him against lefties. People were already putting Adrian Gonzalez on the Rangers as soon as he got um, as soon as he got left off the playoff roster by the Dodgers. I think the Rangers will drop, like, catch somebody that drops, like a Yonder Alonso or whatever. Mm-hmm. But sign someone to a hundred million dollars and someone like Eric Hosmer. I mean, they have a kind of analytics forward front office, and you know, they 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 seem to be a punt first base team. They've always, you know, and then they they if they don't sign anybody, they can just put Gallo there. Um, you know, who's exactly. really shown something. So then you then you move up the list. And uh, the first contender that might want to sign him, uh, I mean, do the Angels, they have C.J. Crone, are they going to spend money there? And and Crone did some things this year that he continues to show flashes where if he can stay healthy for an entire season, can he not be an Eric Hosmer? I mean, I know it's from the right side. A little bit different. He's more of a trumbo. But, yeah, I mean, if if he's their trumbo, then he's their trumbo, and they got one. So, 
Um, you know, who else? The Yankees have Bird. They might sign somebody, but it'd be more like a Yonder or somebody like a, a, a like a two or three year deal to to caddy for Bird or whatever. You know, yeah, DH or whatever. You know, that's not where they're going to invest their money. I just think that would be Red foolish. Sox. They still have Hanley. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's not obvious where this is going to be. That you know, the Blue Jays just got a breakout from Smoke. Uh, they seem Your like favorite a, player. Yeah, they seem like a team that doesn't want to spend much money there. So uh, I don't know who's going to give Hosmer the big deal. I'm worried it'll be the Royals. And uh, in that case, he's only going to get worse because it's Kaufman and he's only going to get older. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Abreu easily. Um, We'll see if both change venues. This is an interesting one, and I think you'll pick the one guy, but kind of want to use it as a springboard to talk about the other guy, Trey Mancini versus Miguel Cabrera. It's it's sad. I I mean, again, more because of what happened to Cabrera than anything against Mancini. Mancini had a really strong year, 294, 24 and 78. Doesn't really get talked about too much uh, for what he did. Really nice season. We've kind of cataloged the issues with Miguel Cabrera. You know, we were calling injury for a long time, as were a lot of places. It was obvious. It was obvious that something was going on in addition to some of the nagging injuries that he had. But then we finally learned two herniated discs. And mm, that's about the, the worst. So that's bad. about the worst it could be. Cause it's, Back issues. That's just so going to keep going to It's gonna stay there. It, it could really and... cut into these last couple years. And, you know, that people have been talking like the pool holes route. You know, the foot certainly hurts too, but a back, I think that can rob the power even more. And if we see another handful of like 16 homer seasons like this year, that would just be depressing. But there's also a ding on StatCast a little bit where, you know, his exit velocity numbers always look good, but it's because of the, you know, the Detroit gun is a little bit hot or, you know, Detroit StatCast is a little bit hot. Because they were all looking great in Detroit. Yeah. And and he, he couldn't have been hitting that hard if he's you know his back is done. So, um, yeah, I uh, it's hard. His rest of season projections, you know, which are basically what they'll be for next year. Two ninety two uh, with the two twelve ISO. So you know, still eight hundred nine hundred OPS territory. Um, still the kind of guy who would hit twenty five homers in a season. Uh, the problem is. If he's not if he's not going to hit his projections, it'll be on the wrong side. And exactly. uh, Trey Mancini is still at 25 years old. If he's you know his projections are not as exciting. 280 uh, with a 187 ISO, um, so more like a 800 uh, OPS. He's um, if he's going to do anything, it's going to be be better than that. So. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, it, it depends. Actually, I think the only thing that might be surprised about my answer is that it, it depends on cost. I mean, if they really are equal and they're equal at a low cost, I might take Miguel. I don't know. We'll have some cost answers next week. We're going to have Justin Mason on for the whole episode talking about a series of mock drafts that he's running right now in addition to the mock draft that I participated in with the In This League guys. So we'll get all that data together and kind of talk, actually have some prices to discuss. So maybe that'll clarify this one. Maybe we kind of leave it a little bit more undecided and we circle back when you get an idea of maybe where some guys are going, um, at least in the short term here. 
so we could do something like that. Um, and and I, I think I'm still going to lean Miggy. Like I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, I think I might because it's a little bit weird to me that Mancini has a 51% ground ball rate. It's a, it's a little bit weird. It's um, it makes me feel like some of this is a Baltimore thing. I yeah. think that's completely fair. Yeah, and it, and that just makes me nervous because, you know, what is Baltimore going to do? And is he a player that they would build around, or is he a player that they would trade to get somebody they'd build around? Um, it, does he have value? I, it's very. He's a guy who had a forty-five future value uh, from. I guess that might be uh, uh, Kylie McDaniel's numbers. Okay. Um, but at the same time, he gave him sixty raw power. So. Uh, so Mancini, uh, Mason is telling us, Justin Mason, producer Justin Mason, hot shot producer, sexy bod, <laughs> sexy bod Justin Mason, <laughs> is uh, is telling us that he has only gone in one mock so far at pick 173, which means that Miguel Cabrera is still more expensive, which uh, changes, I think changes a little bit. If I okay. can, if I can go all the way to the, you know, well, 173 is. Um, Maybe, yeah, he's yeah. at 76 average draft. If position. I can wait 100 picks and get Mancini, then I'm going to wait 100 picks and get Mancini. I think I am too. Herniated this or no joke. Just ask my man. Just ask my man Paul Spore about his back situation. Dude, backs are the worst. Backs mm-hmm. are the when anytime I hear a player has a back, it's terrifying. And you know, <laughs> we talked about. Imagine if he didn't have a back at all. That'd be weird. I don't know if he could hit any homers <laughs> without a back. <laughs> He would just uh, worm his way up there as a spineless, no back having hitter, and I don't think he would get any home runs at that point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm really surprised that Mancini is just kind of. I think it speaks to the kind of the power uptick this year that that he's not really going at all, except for the one draft. But I mean, he did hit 294 with it. It wasn't an empty 24 homers. So I think that's kind of crazy. I would wait 100 picks and take him as well. All right, let's jump into some pitching ones. Um, we're, we're really at the high end on pitchers today with these three, Jacob deGrom or Carlos Martinez. This is, this is a good one because they also will probably go in about the range that I like to shop for my ACE. I like to, I often, you know, take a pass on the most expensive guys, um, and then get the, you know, eighth to 14th best, uh, starting pitcher and maybe try and get two in that sort of eighth to, you know, 18th, you know, grouping of pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally find that a lot of times you, if you have a surprise Cy Young guy, a lot of times they come from that area. Um, it's a guy who is like a Carlos Carrasco who doesn't get picked in the top five, but then is healthy all year and just has, has a good year and wins the Cy Young, that sort of deal, you know? Um, so maybe, maybe it's not going to happen that way this year because, Right now, Scratch looks like Sailor, Kluber, and Scherzer. Um, all guys who went pretty high. But Kluber did not go in the top, you know, five pitchers, probably. Um, mm, in- yeah, not not consistently, no. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I like I like both these pitchers a lot. And um, the thing that, uh, that I like about DeGrom is that um, he has better command. And... I think command means that he's not as reliant on pure stuff. He's not as reliant on the actual radar gun readings. 
and he's more of a four pitch guy that has four different weapons. So he seems like a guy who will age better. And that seems meaningful because he's 29. He took a little bit of a longer route to get to the major leagues because he was a, a college shortstop and a closer and he had a, a surgery in the minor leagues. But the problem is that I also think that that would mean that he's more healthy, but he has had bad health outcomes in his past. And a guy like Carlos Martinez, his mechanics and his stuff makes me think he's going to get injured. But uh, he hasn't yet, really. I mean, he's had a couple sit-downs. but Yeah, but nothing really major. And you're right. There was consideration of, well, is Carlos Martinez going to hold up as a starter? Is he going to have to go to the bullpen? Obviously, he started as a, a reliever, which I like that they started him that way. I, I like when teams do that, kind of work them in. I'm kind of excited about Josh Hader in Milwaukee because that's the way he's come into the league. Justin's letting us know that uh, DeGrom is 37th on the ADP and Carlos Martinez is 56th. Yeah, yeah, that makes me makes me kind of think maybe I'll take Martinez with, with, in the next round because, I mean, DeGrom just last year had an injury hiccup, you know? And mm-hmm. everybody else on the friggin' Mets has gotten hurt, and he throws he throws that Worth and Slider. I wrote about it today that you know you know everybody who's thrown the Worth and Slider has gotten hurt so far. I mean they've gotten hurt in a lot of different ways, and you know the research about you know how stressful these certain pitches are um, is not super clear. It does say that per mile per hour uh, the slider is more stressful than the fastball, but DeGrom is not out there throwing the 94-mile-an-hour uh, uh, Thor slider. He's throwing an 89-mile-an-hour one. So um, I don't know. I don't actually know exactly if the slider that he's throwing is is going to lead to an injury. But, you know, when I watch Carlos Martinez throw, I kind of like, that guy's going to get injured. Yeah. He's don't pretty, you ever he's, think that when you're watching? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he yeah. throws – uh, the when he throws that 100 mile per hour it, it's violent i mean again there was a lot of talk based on his size and mechanics that carlos martinez was going to be a reliever and if not he was going to be one of those in and out of the lineup sort of starters but you know it, i don't think we're quite there yet this was only his third full season as a starter but uh, you know if you keep calling it and it doesn't happen it starts to be that chris sale thing where maybe you're eventually going to be right but at some point you don't get to count it anymore that you called yeah. it because he's putting up you know three straight seasons now and if he goes another a fourth next year uh, sale obviously well beyond the mark where if he did get hurt if someone was like ah I knew he'd get hurt oh okay seven years and a Cy Young later well done dude. You, you nailed it you nailed it you yeah, if you were a team exec you would have not drafted him and not gotten any of that so congratulations yes yeah, so <laughs> well done there but uh, I, I could see something like that so I, I really like Martinez. It was a little bit of a backslide year uh, after the two uh, 301-304 ERA seasons, but the strikeout rate ticked back up, which I liked. I thought that his flashes of brilliance were there throughout the season where you still saw a guy who was elite, but he got bit by the home run bug a little bit. I really think that's the difference in the ERA. His home run rate went from 0.69, which is very nice in all facets, to 1.19 this year, which definitely doesn't work for Martinez. And that boosted his ERA 0.6 points. And again, I think it really all comes from there because everything else was equal or better to last year. So uh, between these two... DeGrom got a two, went from 0.9 to 1.25. And one thing that I do like about DeGrom is that's a plus strikeout rate. 29% 
uh, strikeouts or ten, almost eleven strikeouts per nine. And he projected, doesn't get enough credit for it. Like yeah, enough projected love. for full, you know, strikeout more uh, than uh, than than Carlos Martinez. You know, if Carlos Martinez is still going to give up the same amount of home runs as Jacob Degrom, despite the plus ground ball rate and that awesome heavy sinker he has. Then um, I'm going to go to Grom if they were all things being equal. Now you brought in the fact that there's about 20 picks difference that that might be that might influence me depending on. But I think it might actually only depend on what bat is available. So if I'm in the third round, a lot of times the bats that are available in the third round don't tickle my tits. So <laughs> now if they aren't going to, then I'd rather take Jake Degrom because I think he's a better pitcher when you're when you figure in the the uh, strikeout value. I'm not going to lie. I could see some scenarios where if I love my first two hitters, they're just ironclad. I love, you know, Votto, J.D. Martinez or something. I'm just like, this is amazing. I could see a DeGrom, Seamart 3-4, get my rotation set, and then dive back in on hitters 5-6-7. Especially since we've talked about how it's so much harder to shop in the bargain market these days with pitchers because any flaw is being exposed, especially to the home runs. Yep. Um, yeah, that'd be a kind of a fun thing to do is, is, is hop in there and, and, and narrow that band. Whereas I used to like to shop in eight to 20 and try to get two in there, try to shop and get two out of like eight to 14, you know, exactly. Just get two guys that, you know, can give me, maybe give me 400 innings, um, of near ace value, even if they're not going to be, you know, the, because even at the top, there is some risk. You, you, you take Kershaw. 170 innings, 170 innings from Strasburg, right? So, I mean, that's still a lot of innings, and it's they're still probably worth it. However, if you took DeGrom and Seymour this year and you didn't get quite the Scherzer level, you still got 400 innings um, of really good stuff, you know? They they all – those two both have more innings than the guys you just named, including Scherzer and Kluber, yeah. who obviously missed time. And, you know, Luis Severino, like – they're among the limited 200 inning guys, unless you already have it pulled up. Uh, let me ask you: How many guys you think you went? How many guys you think went 200 plus innings this year? Oh, that's great! I don't. And we already know there's two right here. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to go much further. I think I'm gonna say like six, seven. Well done. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And yeah. some of the ones that aren't guys that you're like, well, I'm going to get them because they're the workhorse. Rick Porcello, you know, um, did another 200 with a 465 ERA. Jeff Samarja, frustratingly, with a 442 ERA because we saw the metrics with the strikeout. that's why Yahoo had Jeff Samarja, despite all his warts, Yahoo still had him in, like, the top 30. Because he's the he's second he's in there. innings to only sail. 214 and a third to 207 and two thirds. He has the raw strikeout numbers. That means he has, yep. you know, 200 and whatever strikeouts. And, so. and that's what... Adam Wainwright used to do. He didn't necessarily have a great strikeout rate, but when you're putting up the innings, the mm-hmm. volume is what really matters. We love strikeout rate because it can protect us if a guy only throws a buck seventy. But if you're if you have a solid strikeout rate, not amazing, but you go two hundred plus, that gets the volume there. And then you got Urban Santana, Verlander, uh, Martinez, Porcello, and of course Degrom. And uh, I think Kluber's done, so he's not going to reach it. I don't know if Granky's throwing again. Cole. But it does, it does say through this lens, it does it does say something to me. First of all, Marcus Stroman is an interesting player, a little bit more interesting than his peripherals uh, in that same way that you're talking about Wainwright, where uh, to Stroman, so don't don't say too much. But he, he does seem like a guy who who can put up the innings, mm-hmm. you know, 
Um, and uh, it, it says something about Chris Archer's season that maybe it was a little bit more valuable than we thought because he still got 196. It says something that Garrett Cole stayed in one, ple- one piece and got to 198. Maybe he didn't have the best peripherals, the best numbers, you know, but if he shaves anything off that home run list, Garrett Cole could actually be someone – he could win a Cy Young. No doubt. He took he 32 turns and, 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 again, showed the flashes across those 32 outings that you still said, God, that's great Garrett Cole. But he had those maddening outings against weak opponents that he was just – oh, it was so frustrating. I watch a lot of Garrett Cole this year because I really think he can be a stud, Cy Young type of guy. I agree with you there. So I think we're in agreement on DeGrom Martinez. Um, I'm, certain situations I'm going to want to take the discount. Other situations I'm going to say, let me just get DeGrom and then still others where I want both. So it's a little bit kind of a fence-sitting situation thing, but I really like both, and I don't know that you can go wrong. Let's talk about the two guys that you just mentioned, Archer and Stroman, in comparison to each other. Archer, I think, is a guy that, yes, the innings again, and that's great. You look at the strikeout rate. That's amazing. But a 418 ERA, second straight year with something over four, I think that's starting to uh, push people away from him. And I wonder if you're feeling the same way or if you're ready to dive in now on maybe an Archer discount. Maybe Justin can pull up where Archer's been going uh, as well here, and then you can let me know if you like Archer or Stroman. Yeah, you know, it is it's uh, it is interesting. They show up uh, near each other in the innings. They both got, you know, 196, 197. It has to be um, a little bit of a... Of a a feather on on Archer's shoulder, considering that um, you know now he's four straight years of of good uh, of good production in terms of strikeouts and innings, at least. Um, the last two years have been a little bit concerning, and especially because um, you know he's a two pitch guy mostly, uh, and uh, you, you kind of see that against lefties for his career. He's uh, you know, he's definitely worse. And it's actually kind of worsening. You know, lefties are hitting him for better every year. Um, and this year they... That's Archer? Yeah, Archer. They hit 13 home runs off him. Last year they hit 15 home runs off of him. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he necessarily has a solution for that. So I'm not sure at uh, 29 that uh, he's going to, you know, pick a... Uh, another p- uh, pitch out of his pocket or suddenly believe in his changeup more. Or, um, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Stroman uh, to me in some sense seems safer because um, he's, he has shown something this year where he brought the four seamer back um, and he became more of a three pitch pitcher with the, the four seam, the, the two seam and the slider and the two seam for him is almost like a super change. It's almost like that Cobb, um, you know, that Cobb super sinker or something. So mm-hmm. uh, there were times when I thought he looked like a more legitimate multi-pitch guy. Uh, and then see this discount here still 80%, 80% fast sinker slider. So it's kind of weird. Well, well, obviously this is four drafts before the season's even ended, but Archer 62.8 uh, on average and Stroman 111.3. I'm taking Stroman for sure on that. I thought they would be so much closer. That's really surprising. I'm definitely taking Stroman there. I love Archer, but give him several rounds later, I can get Stroman. Thank you very much. I'm definitely doing that. Yeah, and the super sinker, like he he pitched in Toronto and gave up less than a home run per nine. I don't think it's an accident. No, it's de- it's definitely not. And really, all you have to do is watch him pitch a couple times to to understand that. 
I mean, keeps with, it with, real low in the zone and and has real heavy sinker and and, and slider. And then I think, you know, yeah, 80% of his pitches are those two pitches. But the other 20%, he plays with them. He fiddles with them. I mean, there are times when he's throwing that uh, curveball. And there are times when he's throwing the cutter and the fastball. So, you know, I think there's um, there's enough there that I would say he has more pitches than Chris Archer. And I think that's meaningful here. Okay. And the last one, we're going to go to the very top of the ADP. Uh, or not the very top, I guess, because Scherzer and uh, Kershaw were first. But right after that. It was Thor and Bumgarner. Of course, they both got hurt. One from probably the Worth Insider and one from Dirtbacken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Bumgarner's come back. He's pitched and been kind of quiet, you know, being out in San Francisco on the bottom feeder. I, I think some people probably aren't even paying that much attention to it, uh, the fact that he's been kind of meh. But Thor uh, made a, a glorious return to the mound for one inning this past weekend. <laughs> is he getting another inning? I thought I heard maybe that he's getting another yeah, inning start or whatever. But uh, frankly, it, I know it doesn't mean a lot to, for, to pitch an inning. But I like when a guy who had an injury ends the season on the field. Even if it's just, a, you know, again, like a little showcase to say, hey, I'm healthy and I can pitch. And, and that's what it is with Syndergaard. So uh, we got Bumgarner going 29.5, Thor 34, 34.5. They haven't really changed that much. The market is still valuing these two very highly. Uh, they both moved down, but pretty much in unison. Last year, Bumgarner was 15. Uh, Syndergaard was 18. And like I said, this year, it's uh, essentially 30 and 35. So who do you prefer between Bumgarner and Thor? The ADP seems like it's going to be very close. Um, and the one thing that I don't like about Bumgarner's injury, even though it was not pitching related, is that it was shoulder related. And um, that bothers That's what me. made it really scary, by the way. That's what made yeah. it especially scary was that it was shoulder related. By the way, Justin mentions that Steven Strasburg's right in the middle there at, at, at 37, or excuse me, 32.75. I'm willing to, I don't like to, I don't throw this term around, but uh, I'm willing to call him injury prone. Strasburg? Yeah. I think we'd be hard pressed not to. I, I think, think it'd be a little bit. You can't look past game. that one. Yeah. And so 2015, Bumgarner, 93 mile an hour fastball. 2016, 91 to 92. 2017, 91. So he's definitely in decline when it comes to his fastball. Uh, 28, it might be a little early decline. It might be injury related, maybe an off season. Um, you know, strengthening that thing uh, will make it work. But, um, you know, he throws that slider so much, cutter, whatever it is. That both, really. I, I think personally, he doesn't get class. He doesn't get a classification for both yeah. on, uh, on on ours. Well, on the pitch FX info, it, it, it does. But I, I think I think it's both, to be honest. He manipulates that uh, enough to be two different pitches in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and he... He showed me once that, like, yeah, he has, like, a ton of two-finger placements. And, yeah, he definitely manipulates that pitch. But, um, I don't know, watching Lester, I think Lester is, like, Bumgarner's future. But Lester is also, like, 33-34. So, uh, maybe Bumgarner can be great until he's 33-34. And and then it'll be silly, just like you said, like the Chris Sale stuff. But uh, Syndergaard... It's like a muscular thing. I mean, it was a, it was like a lat muscle, 
right? And uh, yeah, it was. Pack, and it was a pack. Uh, it was a lat. And Jeff actually, Jeff Zimmerman wrote wrote these two up. Actually, kind of, you know, because they are kind of paired. It's weird. They were paired this year. It's like when one went, the other kind of had to go. They're so op- they're so opposite because like one's a righty with the power arsenal, and one's a lefty, with, you know, hits ninety one. Basically, a finesse lefty, exactly. Yeah. And yet they're they're kind of like linked as it goes. But yeah, the uh, the history on on lad injuries uh, wasn't great. He didn't he didn't find a lot of encouragement there. The, really, the, the major comp was Stephen Matz. Oh, that's well. That's income. I mean, it's incomplete and it's also not great. Certainly, certainly. I mean, uh, Strasburg, Sanchez, Paxton. Yeah, he did a whole deal on it. So um, I, I let me oh, remember to link that. Paxton's those. kind of struggled with it forever. So uh, that pitchers with lat injuries: Strasburg, Aaron Sanchez, Paxton, Iwakuma, Garrett Cole. Sore, uh, and, and it says what it is. By the way, strain, sore, tight, strain, Cueto? tear. That's the thing. The tear thing was. Wait, oh, in 13? Was that when um, he had. Uh, some, you're right. That's any ladder issue. That's a little different than a strain. Because he couldn't even find tears. That's that's why he said Matt's was the only tear that he found. And the lat, the lat is actually really important for generating velocity. Um, it's a, a big, like a lot of it's rotational in, in, in baseball. Um, well, that is interesting. Um, the. Age comes to mind here, though, you know, in terms of age at time of injury, Matt's is, is definitely uh, a, a name. And then strains uh, and tears, you know, strain is a tear. It's just That's a true. question That's of true. degree. Um, so you've got, uh, in terms of youth on their side, I feel like Sanchez, Paxton, Cole, uh, maybe Tehran, uh, those are his best uh, comparisons. Uh, because Syndergaard is still decently young. Maybe Kashner when he had his strain, because it was back in 2012. Yeah. That's five years ago. Uh, and it's uh, it's nice to see that, uh, even though it's only been one inning, uh, it's nice to see that uh, he's come back uh, with you know, the same velocity. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know. In some ways, I think I'm leaning towards... Uh, it, the thing is, we know that shoulder and labrum issues are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no like looking for comps and stuff. It's terrible. Uh, anytime they open up the shoulder, it's bad. So I guess in some ways it's, it's impressive that yeah, Bumgarner's come back with even 91, but um, I'm tempted to go with Syndergaard more strikeouts, uh, not a shoulder injury. You know, not Here's perhaps the real question. Of, are you going to take either? Are you are you inclined? It's a little bit to... high, honestly. It's a little bit high for guys who have question marks, right? I mean, yeah, what did had... you say? What did you say the numbers were? It was thirty, essentially thirty and thirty-five with Bumgarner going first. All right, they went down so... a round basically. If they were, that's year. still second round though, right? I mean, no, that's third round. But that's the end of the second into the third. Yeah. After after they were end of the first into the second. So the the injury riddled seasons that I they would had, not take out of these around. guys in the second round. There are too many bats. There are too many bats that I like, and I'm going to be focused. I'm not going to be singularly focused because that'll get you in trouble. But I'm going to be focused on steals, and if I want to get guys who run and hit next year, I'm going to probably have to get them both, like at least two of them in the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think there's way too many if they, bats. 
I can't if, do it with them. If one of them falls me in the third, uh, then I'll now we're one. talking. But yeah, other than that, let me get on the Degrom Martinez. Uh, okay, that's actually going to wrap us up. Uh, you know, we're going to be back next week talking uh, more playoff stuff. Like I said, the the set up the division matchups, talk about the wild cards after they happen, do some more battles, including you guys already know Whit Merrifield, Ozzy Albies is coming. Thanks to Justin Mason for our producer. We're going to actually have him on the whole episode next week. Guys, take care. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>